Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here today with my brother, Jeremy Sartori, and we're talking New Jersey. More specifically, we're talking about the songs and the bands that come from New Jersey, an area where I've lived a couple of times and Jeremy spent the bulk of his illustrious academic career. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, rate and review us on iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook for more info. Now let's get to New Jersey. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, this is Wyndham Lewis, your host, and today I am with one brother, Jeremy Sartori, and um, we're going back. We're we're uh, going back home again. Who says you can't go home? Um, we are going home. Uh, this really is uh, Jeremy's home estate. Um, I uh, did two tours of duty in New Jersey, um, but we are going to talk about the music of New Jersey tonight. And um, I think we're going to, you know, sort of... Formerly known as Dirty Jersey. Yeah, Dirty some. Jersey and uh, the Garden State. Um, but, uh, we, you know, we looking, looking back at, at the history of music in New Jersey, I mean, it's an incredibly important place. Um, it gave rise to people like Frank Sinatra and Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons, obviously Jersey Boys. Um, but we're, we're more... I think we're going to go a little more current um, and, uh, you know, talk about, um, you know, the bands that we like from there and also, you know, some of the widely held impressions of the state of New Jersey as it as it uh, pertains to rock and roll, which is, um, I mean, you just, you can't start even introing this thing without saying Bruce Springsteen. Who? But, um, yeah, I... I uh, so I I wanted to actually well let's kick it off from you know a logical um, you know sort of inflection point which is uh, that the Velvet Underground I think for the fifth time we're mentioning this on the Brother 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 podcast but the Velvet Underground played their first gig at Jeremy's high school they did and that was a fun fact that I learned from uh, Lex McNeil please kill me because I was not in high school when they played that concert nor were you aware <laughs> the entire time you went to high school that it happened yeah there's nothing really uh, there's no markings uh, at some at uh, some in New Jersey is where that was Summit High and there's no no real uh, they don't have any um, reminiscence of that that show apparently no there's w- Willie no, uh, Wilson is uh, certainly remembered but Velvet Underground is not yeah well Willie Wilson still holds of every athletic record at Summit High School but uh, it, you'd think that there would be some sort of demarcate or, or uh, who knows who knows if the uh, uh, if the town if the superintendent if anybody knows that that actually happened besides Lex McNeil and you and I but it, it um, almost could be a myth <laughs> yeah except that I've seen it written on paper rather than the internet so um, but yeah so uh, you know I mean I, I don't think you can kick off a conversation about New Jersey without talking about Bruce Springsteen so I guess that'll be our entry point um, Jeremy's a much I guess growing up in Jersey uh, or just not being as uh, battered across the head with it as I was as a kid um, Jeremy's a bigger Springsteen fan than I am so I'm going to let him uh, prattle on about Bruce. Bruce, <laughs> the boss, and 
Another artist that I, I can't really claim to be an expert on by any means, except for the fact that I, growing up in New Jersey is, is a kind on Wyndham's part, considering we didn't grow up anywhere. But I spent more years in New Jersey than, than other states for sure. And, uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen is, is obviously synonymous with the state, with the Garden State. He is uh, everything New Jersey. And, and I give credit to Bruce for the sense that, I think I heard a quote once that he chose, you know, not to live in New York or or L.A. because he didn't want to, you know, didn't kind of want to soften his his stand, his stand and want to grow kind of comfortable in the uh, fame and music world. And I I came to Bruce Springsteen in the late 80s via my father and MTV and every single radio station. And it was actually born in the USA, which was uh, a huge, huge hit record, his biggest record by far. And uh, I got to admit, like, I, I hated Bruce Springsteen as a, as a kid. He was everything about Jersey I didn't like, which was sort of the, you know, working class <laughs> kind of. Um, it's a, it's a, you know, which sounds snobby. I, I don't mean to say working class, but that kind of, you know, blue collar romanticism of, you know, hanging out and, and fast cars and, and at the you know, boardwalk and- in Asbury Park with your dead end job and. And rock and roll saving you, um, which but, I just didn't understand. I've always had a theory about New Jersey, and I and I you know hear me out because I think this actually is true. That um, you know I, you know we we've grown up in the Northeast largely, but um, uh, people think Jersey is a shithole because the your point of entry from New York City is a dump. I mean, it's Newark, Bayonne. Um, you know, tough towns and, uh, you know, rough places. It doesn't, it's not very pretty that you get the Meadowlands out there, which is hideous, uh, not the stadium, but the actual Meadowlands, Surrounding areas. you know, Secaucus, uh, in that area, just stuff you see from the highway, whatever you see from the highway looks like shit. Um, Connecticut, on the other hand, your point of entry into Connecticut is Greenwich and Fairfield County. Mm-hmm. And so by the time you get to the shitty part of Connecticut, um, you know, sort of mid-state, you know, or, you know, starting Bridgeport and going mid-state, um, you know, people are already convinced that it's beautiful. I think Jersey's the opposite. You, you leave into a, into a vortex of, of, you know, shithole and, uh, you know, you go about 25 miles later and you've got a beautiful part of the country. So yeah, anyway, that's my, and I think, that's, you know, both of our experiences with New Jersey, not to make this biographical, was that we moved from places we didn't like that much that were sort of insular and, and, you know, kind of tough places to be as kids in kind of the ever, ever moving family that we lived in, the circus family. And, uh, and we ended up in a place that had close proximity to New York City and had a lot of diversity and a lot of um, transients. So it was actually a very comfortable place for us to land. And I think we both enjoyed it. And there was kind of an openness to music in the sense that you had a lot of access to universities and, and, and record stores. Deep college, and then, college radio record stores. Exactly. You, had, and then you were also, a short hop from, from New York. So. Yeah, and, and spent a lot of my youth going into New York. But I'll get back to Bruce right now. And, and, and you know, I think the main thing, and, and Wyndham is, is not a fan. I think you respect and like Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. I became a fan much later, so I'm, I'm going to – was not my New Jersey years, but speaking of Bruce in New Jersey days – you know, he, he kind of had, you know, save rock and roll to a degree, right? There was disco era, and, and here was a guy that was obsessed with the Phil Spector 60s, you know, sound and, and, and true kind of American rock and roll and, and soul music. 
and you know put out some fantastic albums I, you know i think after born in the usa i nebraska was my next sort of album that's a really the opposite it's a you know underproduced bleak demo tape basically and and for a guy who had put out born to run darkness on the edge and the river to then come out in 1982 with nebraska pre you know which ended up being a huge hit album born in the usa was really remarkable and and I think took a lot of guts and and balls and that, and I think that's the thing I've I've kind of respected about him. He's a guy who is has done music the way that he wants to do music. Followed his muse, yeah. And you know through that has I mean I think you and I both would agree a song like Born to Run is one of the greatest rock and roll songs. Yeah, I know, love ever. I love Born to Run. You know I never really thought about Bruce Springsteen and we'll move along because we're not uh, we're far from Springsteen scholars and we're probably going to offend anybody who likes him or dislikes him. Uh, with the cursory uh, conversation we're having, but um, the thing about Bruce Springsteen is, is you know, it's kind of funny because he was the the sort of redemption of rock and roll. But his, you know, his image to me was always kind of fifties, um, you know, black leather jacket, white t shirt, or you know, sort of greaser uh, looking guy. Um, so even when I mean, and I know that's uh, his, you know, his pref- you know preferred. Um, persona is sort of this, you know, roots guy, but it, you know, it always struck me as kind of uh, retro in a way um, that you know it, it, I always found kind of off-putting as a kid, and um, and then you know, I mean, the, like, I'm I'm the rare person in the world that that I, I feel sort of ambivalent towards um, Bruce Springsteen. I I don't love him. I don't dislike him. I uh, like some of his songs, and I don't really, you know. Uh, it, it doesn't matter that much to me. So, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, I, I think it's interesting that you found him later and that you sort of grew to appreciate him later. Um, cause I think, uh, you know, growing up as we did with that sort of, uh, indie rock, college rock snobbery, um, that's hard to shake. You know, you, you, you wind up, you know, Springsteen's sort of the universally accepted, but he wasn't, you got to think back to the eighties when I was younger, he, you know, he wasn't, hip or he wasn't you know edgy he was the guy with the you know he was the american flag guy he was and uh you know we'll 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 move off of springsteen but i'll just put in the plug that really his first five or six albums if you go back and if you are inclined to go back or if you're already a huge fan you would agree with me are, are really good yeah i think i think we're gonna i think he's going places um uh, so that said, it was, you know, Jersey's a, a tough place because there's a lot of bleed in Jersey. There's, uh, um, you know, there's a ton of artists that are from New Jersey that uh, sort Leave of have made, a, <laughs> that have made a name for themselves. You know, New York's right there and it's an obvious place to go. So, you know, we're sort of talking about the bands that, that stayed or, or made a home or, or, you know, consider themselves New Jersey acts as opposed to, uh, you know, people from New Jersey who were New York acts like Blondie or LCD Sound System or something. Um, but, you know, one of the one of the great Jersey bands, I think, um, and I still to this day don't know where their hometown is. I, I mean, I, I know what it is. I just don't know where it is. Uh, it was the Feelies. Um, I think, yeah, I, I came to the Feelies kind of late. Everybody, you know, I'd always seen crazy rhythms on, uh, you know, top 100 best albums kinds of lists that, you know, places like Rolling Stone and Spin would put out. But um, the fact is, I got into the feelies sort of late 80s uh, when they were essentially, I guess, you know, 
Left for Dead and came back a little bit with uh, albums like Only Life, um, which I, I you know wore a, wore a groove in. I love that album. Uh, it's very Velvet Underground, and the delivery as opposed to Crazy Rhythms is much more of a um, Lou Reed style vocal. But it was a you know laid back, self assured. I really love that album. Uh, how did you find out about the Feelies? Um, same, same way. So, I mean, Crazy Rhythms was always on everybody's list. They were from Halden, New Jersey, actually, originally. And, uh, there's a huge gap. I mean, so Crazy Rhythms came out in 1980. Um, I think their next album, The Good Earth, came out in maybe 86, and then... 87, uh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, Only Life in 88. So, my initial introduction to them was the song It's Only Life, off of that, uh, that album. And it's such a... It's a, a totally different band to me from Crazy Rhythms, and it still has that same kind of general, like you said, sort of Velvet Underground influence, Lou Reed. Um, but the but crazy... it sounds like it sounds like either side of a Velvet Underground kind of thing, because the you know the first album is that sort of jittery, um, you know, uh, it's crazy, you know, nervous. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a sort of nervous energy kind of um, Velvet Underground, and then the the after a while, it's a sort of tired, laconic. Um, probably in uh, Lou Reed's case drugged out but in the feelies I was never I never thought of them as much of a um, druggy kind of band uh, persona wise uh, but you know it's a it's a more sort of you know talking talks you know talk singing kind of vocal uh, a little deeper they just sound older by the time the second album comes out and they were obviously but um, you know they sounded very like two sides of a coin of um, you know two of the Velvet Underground's more distinct personalities yeah, and they weren't around very long. I think they've come back and forth. I think they, they constantly kind of take hiatuses and, and, and you know, leave. And, they, and I think they left kind of a, a, you know, a small mark. But I always grouped them in with sort of, you know, early R.E.M., the Feelies. It, it was kind of that, <clears throat> that sound that was jangly, obviously had influences like VU, but others as well, Big Star, thing, things of that nature. And the I birds. always the birds, yeah, that Rickenbacker guitar sound. But I, I felt like it was a band that, like, it's one of those bands that you're like, wow, why doesn't everybody love this album? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like it's, uh, it's it's definitely a, a comfort album as per our comfort food uh, pod as pod. well. Yeah, it's funny though. There's been multiple times, and and I remember these in real time, so it, it does it sounds crazier in retrospect um, than it you know seemed at the time, but. You know, there was the Feelies, there was REM, there were the DBs, um, you know. I'm Pylon. Leaving, I mean, not even Pylon. I'm talking about bands that were had something of a small national profile, and you weren't sure which one was going to be the big one, which sounds crazy now after, in retrospect. But well, I it's also like remember talking the, about U2, Big Country, yeah. Simple Mind, you know, when they all came yeah. out as well. The, the, that dynamic, it was, well, who was going to be bigger? Uh, you know, U2, Big Country... Um, Aztec Camera, uh, um, The Alarm, or Simple Minds. Right. I mean, and there were, you know, that was that was an argument. And uh, lo and behold, one of them sort of. Uh, I think somebody won out of the that finish group. line, but yeah, it wasn't um, Big Country. Just in case you're no. wondering. Um, great song though. I wouldn't. I would say their their lead off single was probably the best of the lot. Um, the but day. yeah, they're. There's those weird, you know, periods where, um, you know, I think there's a misunderstanding of, of who's got the potential for staying power. And I think, uh, I don't think the feelings were misunderstood that way or the DBs for that matter. I thought they were both great bands, but REM really, you know, uh, 
you know, uh, distance themselves from those guys pretty early uh, in terms of popularity. Well, I think uh, the other thing that's hard with the feel is it's hard to get that album. I can't find Only Life anymore, and you may have an original copy, but you you can always get crazy your hands on Crazy Rhythms, which, um, you know, we're probably the centers in, in that not being our favorite album opinion, but... <laughs> It's not a, it's not an easy catalog to find. Um, no, it's a it's a really good album, Crazy Rhythms. I just you know I like a, you know I think you you always make the point that um, you know the first album that gets you into a band is often your favorite, regardless of whether that's the one that's um, meant you know the the critically most acclaimed, critically acclaimed or or widely or widely popular. Um, let's but uh, go ahead. let's float over to uh, some hip hop in New Jersey as well, and it's something that's kind of fun to look at. I mean, there's obviously the the Fugees, Lauren Hill, White Glove Jean, and I apologize for the sirens in the background. I'm camping out in Christian, who isn't here, his apartment in Brooklyn, so um, it's a little noisy. But you know, one of my favorite hip hop groups, who actually, unlike the Feelies, um, had a huge hit, is Naughty by Nature from East Orange, New Jersey. And uh, I think you can't deny the universal appeal of OPP. I, I think it's one of the greatest hip hop songs of all time, and and it's funny because I said to Christian one at one point, I said, well, you know, I, I you know, I I will, you know, stand my ground and say that OPP is one of the great hip hop songs. Um, you know, I know it's regarded as kind of soft and and kind of a you know um, novelty, and he's like, no, it's not. He's like, people my age think that's fucking classic. And I was like, yeah, well, I guess it is. So, um, you know, my, my feeling was always that they didn't have the sort of push or the heft behind them, uh, even though they had, a, like, you know, multiple number one hits uh, that, you know, a band like NWA or, or Public Enemy had, um, just in terms of attention and, you know, being, um, you know, being considered... Um, you know, top of the game by by critics and and people I sadly read back then, um, but there was a whole crew from. I mean, there's a whole lot of East Orange, Irvington, uh, you know, crowd. Queen Latifah's from there. Yeah, um, you had leaders of the new school who were uh, kind of an underground sensation. Um, you know, I think you you know you had an Onyx who were. <laughs> oh yeah, Onyx. <laughs> Throw your guns in the air and wave them like you just don't care. Um, you know, there there was definitely Redman, who was from Newark, not from East Orange, but there, there's definitely a good hip hop uh, representation in New Jersey. Again, obviously, there's lots of diversity in the in the Garden State. You know, where you have uh, lush uh, farmland suburbs, and then some very uh, intense inner cities as well. Um, but you know, I, I think that again, you know, one of the things about these groups that we're mentioning is Jersey truly was. Naughty by Nature, Queen Latifah, that was their home, and that's, that was kind of their home base for music. And, and pre-Queen Latifah's, um, sorry, acting career, who's gone on obviously to a huge career, you know, you had great singles like You and I, T, Y, um, uh, and Ladies also First. Ladies First, which was her big yeah. breakout. I think Moni, wasn't Moni Love one of her? Moni um, Love might have been one of her protégés. Um, yeah, but I think Moni Love was, in, was one of her uh, um, dancers and... and uh, you know, it was on her albums, uh, and I think Moni Love was was British, but um, but you know, sort of fell in. I think she might have moved, you know, a la Slick Rick. She might have moved to uh, New Jersey at a, at a relatively young age, but she was pretty great too. Um, and then you know, and then but then there's you know, there's been a good. 
Um, you know, I, I, it's funny. I think uh, the hip hop, Jersey hip hop, you know, sort of had its, you know, its absolute moment in the '90s. Um, but I think you know, it's funny for you and I to see that indie rock has sort of had a uh, a fairly major resurgence and. In, in, you know, the last five, ten years, I guess well, ten years. mainly stemming from a town where we did our first, or an area where we did our first in New Jersey, which is kind Bergen of Bergen County. Yeah, Google Ridgewood. Uh, so, but, you know, real real estate's from there. Um, Titus Andronicus from Glen Rock. Um, the Jonas Brothers, of course. Uh, Jersey's finest. Um, and with those guys. But, yeah, there seemed to be a fairly fertile uh, Bergen County um, contingent, yeah, which there was, happened which was to be apparently a, a grouping of, of pretty cool high school kids who started bands in the last five, six years. And, uh, you know, let's talk, um, let's talk real estate real quick. And then I think a band that we both mutually like is Titus Andronicus. And, and I'll let you kind of go on about them since you've seen them more and, and are a little more into them than I am. But, uh, you know, real estate, I think is, is a band that I find just very melodic and, and great. And I, I like their last two albums quite a bit. And I think that, uh, it's a band that keeps getting better with each album. And, you know, I think has that kind of same sort of probably pretty influenced by the band, like the feelies, you know, as yeah, a lot I was of say, they're, guitar they're, and they're the obvious, uh, you know, sort of descendants of, of the feelies. And then moving on to a little more uh, rocking group, who uh, being Titus, you know. I yeah, think this is this is where we're missing Christian this evening because he uh, uh, he is firmly uh, ensconced as one of the the Titus Andronicus, uh, you know, local fans in Brooklyn that uh, you know sees them a lot at Shea Stadium, the uh, club that they are, I believe, involved in. Um, the ownership of, and, um, you know, they're, they've relocated to Brooklyn, but I think they'd still consider themselves a Jersey band. And I, I love Titus. They're, they're just sort of the, you know, they're the blueprint for, uh, you know, what I like. That's sort of the clash libertines, um, you know, not afraid of hard rock, um, but very literate, uh, kind of storytelling and, and, um, you know, incredible, um, hooks and and lyrics and actually now that the first time i ever saw them so the first time i i saw titus was at um uh, i think it was it was the intonation the first year or was it the first no, year they were pitchfork? at a pitchfork they were okay. one of them they were an early yeah. band i think it was off their they first were, album they were the one o'clock saturday yeah. um which is the you know the lowest on the on the on the font pyramid if you will and um they uh jarvis cocker was playing Later that day, and Jarvis Cocker had pre-announced that he wasn't going to play any Pulp songs. Not in a dickish way, but he was just, you know, pushing his own album. And, um, you know, he is a, he's a very funny, funny guy. Um, but he, had, you know, he just sort of wanted to can speculation, I think, before he went on and um, had people clamoring for the hits. Um, he uh, sort of pre-announced that he wasn't going to play any Pulp songs. So Titus Andronicus uh, got up before they started any of their own set. Uh, they did a very... Uh, scattershot cover of Common People by Pulp and when the song ended he goes it's a fucking great song somebody had to play it <laughs> so that's when I knew I liked that band and uh, I flash forward a number of years I'd seen them you know a handful of times in the interim but uh, just this past um, couple months ago I saw them again with Christian at Webster Hall with Craig Finn opening and, um, you know, they've got f- four guitar players now. They've got, you know, the full setup. And they just 
they're just one of those bands that's going to uh, be worth seeing for a really long time because they just rip it up live. Well, and I think, too, it's another band that we talk about, Progression. You know, and I remember the first album airing of Grievances, which is, you know, a lot of people compared to a kind of revved up Bright Eyes, you know, it's kind of, the guy's a great songwriter, sprawling lyrics, and but it did have a little bit of that, that bright, early Bright Eyes sound. And then they put out the concept on the Civil War album, The Monitor, as their next <laughs> one, which is, I, I got to say, like, in, you know, I'm a, I'll admit I'm a little less familiar. I love this band, but I, I haven't dug in as deep as Christian or Wyndham. But that has to be one of the best opening tracks ever. And, and very, uh, you know, call-outs to, to New Jersey references since we're on the New Jersey pod. It's, uh, yeah. It's well, I mean, there, there, there are overt Jersey references, the... Uh, Newark Bears, uh, for whom Ricky Henderson once played. And um, there are more subtle references, which is the whole thing is, is like uh, amphetamine, you know, sort of amphetamine stuffed Bruce Springsteen song, if you yeah. think about it. It's Born to Run. Uh, I mean, it even borrows from Born to Run, the part of the chorus, but um, it is basically Born to Run on Roids, uh, even though Born to Run is on Roids. Um, I, more perfect uh, union is that song, by the way. Yeah, I that's like a name. More perfect union, but yeah, they they just they blew me away last time I saw them live. Um, and they were a great, you know, great pacing, great uh, song choices. They ended with a handful of covers. They came out and did "Bastards of the Young," which I believe is the signature now. I think if you are a Brooklyn band, um, you have to uh, encore with "Bastards of the Young." I, well, I think that's an unwritten rule, and I think Craig Finn has to come sing it with you. Which <laughs> I think the thing that that I, I really like about Titus, and, and we'll move on post this, is the uh, they're just a band that I can tell has the same record collection I do, which is <laughs> you know it's great. You know, Clash replacements, it's right up my alley every time. Thin Lizzy, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bruce Ted Leo, <laughs> um, yeah, and actually, and you know, I give them a ton of credit. I mean, they they were leaders in this themselves um, in the uh, personal grooming department, but they also, I believe, I think the Monitor, the uh, Civil War concept album, uh, really sort of presaged the entirety of the last 10 years of, of Brooklyn men's fashion. So <laughs> um, anyway, we're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk about one of our favorite New Jersey bands, Yola Tango. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother pod. Tonight we're talking New Jersey. And uh, after following the uh, airing of this pod on the airing of grievances, we will uh, have a uh, New Jersey pod 
I miss our New Jersey Spotify playlist up. Uh, I encourage you to go check it out um, for the bands that you love and the bands that you don't know yet necessarily. Um, and in fact, every uh, podcast uh, that we record at uh, brotherpod.com and brother, brother, brother podcast uh, has a corresponding Spotify playlist. So if you like what we're talking about, you're going to like what you hear. And um, we are going to talk about two of our absolute favorite bands now, um, different uh, different ends of the state. And uh, one is uh, Yola Tango. And Yola Tango is a Hoboken-based band. Um, you know, very curious uh, conception of this band. Obviously, it's a husband and wife and a uh, and, a, and a bass player. <laughs> uh, I think all marriages come with those. Um, and um, but you know, uh, it was a it was a band that was um, started by Ira Kaplan, Georgia Hubley, uh, his wife, and Ira Kaplan prior to starting Yola Tango and touring for the last thirty plus years uh, with that band was a Rolling Stone music critic and a music journalist. And so I think, you know, for all the people who have ever said, you know, put your money where your mouth is or, you know, don't judge my art lest ye make your own, uh, he kind of did it. And um, I think he, I, I you know, sustainably one of the, one of the best bands um, I can think of, one of my favorite bands and, and a band that's put out a lot of really great albums. But they've been you know, consistently good for 30, you know, 30, going on 35 years now. Yeah, and I'll, I'll take consistently good and say consistently great. I mean, Yola Tango is a band that started in 1986, and it's now 2016, and, and they are still at it, and still putting out putting out good albums. And I, I think the coolest thing about Yola Tango, or one of the, the many great things about Yola Tango is, is kind of the, the variation of their sound. So it's not it's not necessarily a band that, you know, developed I mean it's certainly it's a band that developed from Ride the Tiger or Fake Book into, you know, I can hear the heart beating as one and and later on, you know, I'm not afraid of you and, and I'll beat, beat your ass. ass. <laughs> but um it's a band that kind of encapsulated, I think, you know, and I'm going out on a limb here, not knowing Ira Kaplan, you know, all of his sort of favorite aspects of music. So you get kind of there's the funky Yola Tango who can do kind of a, a, a fun little soul ditty there's the absolute wrenching feedback Yola Tango. There's the Beach Boys Yola Tango. There's the acoustic, kinks. you know, Kinks, yeah, covering Daniel Johnston and the Kinks Yola Tango. And, um, you know, and I think if you've ever seen Yola Tango, which I'm sure many of our listeners have, but if you haven't, it's a band that, you know, within one show can be, you know, all of those things or can be one of those things. And, you know, let's go ahead and, and talk about kind of some of the albums that, that we really love and maybe how we came to this well, band. I'll, I can, I'll I can hear, you. I can hear the heart beating as one is my favorite. Um, and, uh, it just, you know, start to get, we, this was on my comfort food list. This is the album that I, I, um, you know, my day job is as a writer. So my, this is the album I listen to most when I write. I don't know why, um, there's a, cause it's not monotonous, uh, in, in, in a good way. It's not, um, you know, sort of uh, monotonal. It it actually, you know, there's a lot of variation there. There's a 10-minute feedback song. There is a, you know, Beach Boys cover. There is a, uh, you know, there are feedback songs. There are, you know, pop ditties. There are acoustic songs. Um, you know, it, it's it's all over the map, but for some reason, 
uh, I know I just know it so well and I love it so much that I throw it on and I don't really think where I am on the album. It just it could go all day and and I wouldn't you know I I hear it I love it it registers but it doesn't distract me somehow um, and that's weird for an album that is as diverse as that. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I think if I was to turn anybody on to Yola Tango, I hadn't heard them, or I don't even think this would be the album that you would do it with because it, it like I sort of mentioned earlier, it does hit all of their high notes, and, and this album in particular hits them all in, a, in in the best way. So I mean, there are some Yola Tango albums that have some hits and misses. This album does not have any. I mean, you have I love the intro song, you know, of mm-hmm. uh, Return to Hot Chicken, which is basically just a really pretty instrumental. And then you have songs like Sugar Cube, which is a great feedback pop song. Um, Autumn Sweater, which has a great like kind of dance beat, but is, is also just a very pretty song about, uh, I assume, he and his wife and, and kind of being awkward around meeting somebody. Stockholm and, Syndrome, which yeah, is basically an acoustic pop ditty. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like a demo almost. Um, you know, they're they're it, the, like you know, my little corner of the world, which is you know essentially a it's almost a Mo Tucker song, um, right? Uh, the, so I you know I mean we're talking a lot about one album. Having just said we're gonna uh, tell you which well, albums we can are throw some but other pain, painful is yeah. a great album. Uh, I love the song Tom and- Courtney. Tom Courtney's um, actually on Electro Pura, which is also oh, is I'm sorry, and I Electro actually Pura. group I group those two together. Because um, they kind of came Obviously out back I do to too. back. <laughs> well, they came out sort of back to back, and they're also, and then I think where I can hear the heart beating is one is a great representation of the whole Yola Tango, uh, you know, mm-hmm. sort of canon. You know, Electric Pura and Painful are the more sort of feedback heavy. Um, but you know, Lilo Tango has a great sense of melody and great pop songs. And you know, I'm I'm not a fan of instrumentals. But Big Day Coming is uh, and uh, is one of you know my all time favorite instrumentals. Or is it Big Day Coming or Nowhere Near? Sorry, I might have mixed that Nowhere one near. up. Nowhere Near. Sorry. Big and, Day Coming and, is lyrics. Yeah, Big Day Coming. You're right. So um, scratch that. Nowhere Near is a song that I can pop on anytime, and just the build and you you hear that song live, and they just you know they kind of start quiet, and by the end it's sort of the same riff over and over again with great feedback, great rhythm section. It's just an amazing, amazing band, and then you can pop on a, an album like Fake Book, which is yeah, they've done multiple covers albums, yeah, acoustic and fun, and you know you get to hear a bunch of songs like, you know, I I lived in Austin, Texas, so I knew Daniel Johnston fairly well, but like nothing's better than Yola Tango's version of Speedy Motorcycle. It, it's mm-hmm. it's excellent. Um, yeah, they actually did, uh, and our my good friend Paul McNamara and Danny Bernini produced at NRBQ tribute record years back and they did a great cover of magnet by nrbq that's uh you know that i think you know again uh i like it better than the nrbq version um and you know again it's it's one of these bands too that has this you know uh, this gear that it doesn't always engage um with georgia hubley being such a great singer um, and she doesn't. She sings about you know. And I one, not being a great singer, but he's one twelfth of the time or one fifteenth yeah. of the time. Um, so it you know it's really kind of cool that they you know they can pull out an entire. I mean you could the, you, I could play this for you know and the untrained ear and you know there you people would be convinced that they were listening to four different bands at times. Well, I think like Titus too. It, you know, and obviously Ira having the the background of of being a 
Rock Critic, it's a band that has a, a wide variety of, of influences and, and a lot of, you know, some stuff that they've turned me on to, which is fun, and then other stuff that I love, and I'm just excited that other people love it, too. The other album I just want to name check before we, we move on to one of our all-time faves, too, and it's one that I don't know if you like as much as I do, but... And then um, Nothing Turned Itself Inside the, Out, which is yeah. the, the sort of, you know... One of my favorite titles of all time. It's a great title. It's a great album cover. It's an album that I've, I've I almost for like a year put on before I went to bed. Um, not because it puts me to sleep, just because it, it's just a really... Soothing. Soothing record with a couple of rockers, too. It's Cherry not, Chapstick. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's a... It's a Kind of, you know, it's an admitted I love you to a husband and wife. And, and I, I just think that's like one of the coolest things ever in our era of today of, you know, divorce yeah. and, and living through divorce ourselves with the brother brothers and, um, <laughs> you know, things of that nature. It's just it's just kind of neat to see a, a couple that, you know, works together and, and stays You're together always and, for and makes it. great and, music together. And just so you know, Ira Kaplan and Georgia Hubley have pulled ahead of Thurston Moore and Kim Gordon in the uh, marriage right. sweepstakes. So they, they win the um, Rock Couple Award. Yeah, uh, keep it going. Um, and then, so there was a couple of other things. There, I mean, there's a couple of other bands that that sort of you know flash through uh, when you think about Jersey. Uh, you can't really talk about Jersey, or you can't really talk about this particular genre without talking about this band, and then talking about Jersey, which is the Misfits. Um, and just touch on them. Misfits, obviously, and, and uh, the you know group that succeeded them, Danzig. Um, it you know they were their own thing. It's sort of like the Cramps or uh, you know even the B fifty twos. It's like I mean I, I would never com- compare the Misfits to the B fifty twos, but you know talk about a band that doesn't sound like anybody else. It's a it's a strange. I remember so you know the Misfits as much as a band is also kind of a, a look, right? <laughs> so yeah, you know they were straight out of some you know kind Halloween. of B movie Halloween horror film look with the you know the hair and and Glenn and Doyle and you know the Devil Lock yeah and called. one of the best band logos ever. I mean whether you you know it kind of goes up there with Black Flag with you know what's up there with the with Black Flag and CBGBs as more way more T-shirts sold than than ears have uh, <laughs> yeah than albums yeah um, but you know also a surprisingly pretty great band. I mean they had you know nutty lyrics. And like the Ramones, where you think like, oh, punk rock, this is, you know, loud, noisy, craziness. I mean, the Misfits really did kind of straight ahead. They like, were rooted in the 50s. Yeah, absolutely. And then they did great straight ahead kind of 50s rock. No, he um, was doing sort of horror Elvis. Yeah. Um, Glenn Danzig, he, you know, he was, um, you know, he was, he was sort of Elvis on Halloween. That's what kind of I always thought about that band and, and, and avowed Elvis freak. Um, you know, he, you know, I think he was basically just trying to trying to be a 50s rocker walk among us you know is a is a solid album and i think that uh, anyone who hasn't gone back and listened to it, it it's it's worth listening to and and uh you know you gotta love green hell which is one of the best yeah. <laughs> that's a diverge too much but it is kind of funny how how tame so many of these sort of uh landmark you know uh game changing records are i mean there's you go back and you listen to some of them like you know i was talking about the dead kennedy's fresh fruit the other day or bad brains or or never mind um, the bollocks but i mean no actually that was my counterpoint was you know you go back and listen to never mind the bollocks and to me it sounds like a shirelle's album now yeah um it doesn't you know it doesn't it doesn't sound i mean other than i mean the lyrical content's pretty 
pretty, uh, contra, you know, pretty edgy still, but, um, it's a, you know, it is a pop record to me. And now, I mean, that's what Christian's, uh, sort of, uh, reluctance towards the Ramones is based. And he's like, I thought these guys were punk rock. This is such pop to me. And you know, it is, um, it, it's funny though, when you go back and listen to something like walk among us, which was a, um, you know, sort of build as a heavy, you know, sort of scary album. It really sounds like, you know, some variation of uh, Shaken Stevens, who was a like a British Elvis impersonator in the seventies. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those. It was, I remember buying Walk Among Us at our Scotty's record store <laughs> in downtown uh, Summit, New Jersey, and um, you know it was very hard to find good music there, and, and that was always in like I think the discount bin. And I, uh, you know, you'd seen kind of the older kids with the, you know, rip sleeve jean jackets and multiple exploited, uh, you know, misfits and, and black flag and minor threat patches. And you just sort of thought like, whoa, this is going to be, this is going to be pretty heavy. heavy. This is going to be master of puppets heavy, or this is going to be sort of, uh, I mean, black flag was pretty heavy or minor threat. And it, it wasn't, I was so excited to be like, I think I might've even talked to you and been like, this is like really, really good. <laughs> it's really, yeah. really poppy, you know, like I really like yeah. it. Yeah. Um, well, well so we can, the last, sorry, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, I was, was going to bring us to the last band um, that we were going to talk about on the New Jersey podcast. And, and that's for reasons because we're such gigantic fans of uh, the Wrens from uh, the, from the shore. Um, you know, I've seen the I've seen the Wrens a bunch. You've seen the Wrens a bunch. Uh, you kind of turned me on to them originally. So, um, yeah, give me a. Yeah, but neither one of them, neither one of us knew them early. You know, on their earlier stuff. So, um, it's been a uh, uh, process of exploration. You know, through the back door of of their newer album. But uh, thankfully, the Wrens give you plenty and plenty of time to uh, explore their catalog. <laughs> yeah, they're they're not a. Uh not a guided by voices pumping out albums. Um, they're not even month. spinal tap. No, um, they're not. So nine albums in 26 years. <laughs> well, yeah, let me, t- I'll talk about the runs a little bit. I mean, first of all, I think what's kind of fun about New Jersey and I, I think you feel the same way when is we both, neither of us lived there our whole lives. Neither of us were born there. Um, I think we just both had positive experiences in New Jersey and tend to Jersey. really, I do too, and tend to really like people from New Jersey. So in the multiple places we've lived, I think we've always gravitated towards anyone from New Jersey. And it was kind of like that with the Meadowlands, which was their uh, their last album that came out in 2003. I was actually living in Chicago, not in New Jersey, but had read a blurb on, on this band and, and um, I, I vividly remember, you know, buying this album, uh, the Broken Social Scene album and the Decemberist album uh, all at the same time off of kind of record reviews. And I used to take the, the what's called the L in Chicago, the train to work and I would bring my disc man. So uh, as, as old as 2003 is, that actually still existed. And, it was pre-iPod. Um, pre, yeah, I mean, iPod was to, probably to out. Me. I just was not. No, no, it was actually pre-iPod. 2004, I believe, was the iPod. Okay. So um, I'm not as uh, dated as I thought. But anyways, I had the disc man and, and you know, two things kind of hit me. I was, I was obviously a little older. I uh, had kind of an automatic love for New Jersey. And this is an album about grown-ups who playing in a band and, you know, having real life issues, um, including working day jobs still or, or uh, you know, never quite making it. And uh, and it's just it's 
I mean, I can't say enough about this record. It really is like a truly modern day classic for me, at least. And and I think a lot of people, it's like you find these pockets of folks who just love the Wrens, but especially love Meadowlands. And um, I know, think it, I th- you know I think unlike the sort of romanticism and and you know grandiosity of you know like a Bon Jovi or even a you know a, the the quieter way more articulate literate version of that with uh, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, the Wrens are are not writing about the glory of of you know uh, getting away from it one more time. It's like you know it it's all there. It's it's a really really honest um, and I think beautifully written album. Um, but it doesn't have that you know me and Johnny used to work on the you know Union Line. I mean these guys were I think these guys are executives at Pfizer. Yeah, um, I mean you well it's also one of the, you know I I, I think. I tend to personally like albums that I can see myself in, you know, like it's like a good book, right? Kind of the realism of it or a good movie. And I felt like the Meadowlands kind of captured that. I mean, the, the song that I first kind of caught my attention because the album starts off with happy and, or the house that guilt built and then happy, which are, are good songs. And I came to kind of love, but when I first popped on the broken social scene album, the first, you know, the week I bought this, that was an instant like, Whoa, this is great. You know? And this was one that kind of grew on me. And, and this boy is exhausted is the one that really hit me at first. And, you know, talking about temp jobs and, and, uh, you know, trying to tour and, and, and with just a great rocking beat. And, and they both just do wonders with harmony and, and kind of singing with each other. And, and, you know, I think Bissell being, you know, one of my favorite songwriters, a, a, guy we've both met and I know you've had some continued communication with um and but then you kind of listen to like like she sends kisses is is you know I don't know how to explain it other than it's like you know sort of a rock ballad opera about you know it's just it's a great we were doing a uh a pod a a while back uh it might have just been Christian and I doing um FU songs um and uh we were talking about you know the best FU songs and I was thinking you know I was trying to position some of these uh or I was thinking about Meadowlands because it has a lot of vitriol on it but it it's you know it's like a Kenneth Lonergan screenplay it doesn't have you know the vitriol isn't on one side there isn't a right person and a wrong person they're both kind of like fucked up a little bit and so it's the best kind of uh and analysis of a relationship or the best kind of analysis of your life, which is a sort of fair-minded, um, you know, sometimes uh, you feel great and sometimes you feel like shit and sometimes you act like an asshole and sometimes you hurt people. And it's just, you know, it's not, but it's not like I'm a monster. It's more like, yeah, I was a dick and then you were a jerk. And, um, you know, it, it, songs like Ex-Girl Collection, I think, I love that song, um, and it, it, it's it's like a breakup song, uh, or like a multi breakup song, but it it's not a you know again it's not a simple one sided or a zero sum kind of thing. It's uh, it's bad behavior. Yeah, and I think it's also a band like so you know we we talk a lot about kind of heavier bands like you know Dinosaur Junior and and um, <clears throat> some of the more you know kind of guitar dude let's say dude rock you know, my wife loves hopeless, you know, it's like one of her all time favorite songs. And, and I think, you know, I have a funny story about the rent. So the first time I was so excited by this album, I mean, I just, it was kind of finding like a, 
a new treasure, even though this was an old band. I just didn't know the backstory. And, and the, you know, the backstory is, is that they got, you know, they were an up and coming band. They got tied up in lots of legal trouble due to a record label and an agent and, who kind of tried to push them into, I think the guys ended up signing Creed and, and had really wanted them to change their sound and their, their, um, kind of look and everything in the nineties. And, and they kind of wouldn't do that. So they basically didn't, weren't able to put out music for a while and had to buy back their, for seven yeah, years, buy yeah. back their records. And I think they also got married and had jobs and, you know, some of them have families and things like that. But, but so I, I was just ecstatic. And at the time I, I, I uh, worked for a, a company and, and, you know, there was some younger people that I worked with who were pretty hip to music and they were coming to the empty bottle or something in Chicago. And I was like, Oh, does anyone want to go with me? You know, I trying to find people to go to this band. And one of the girls who was maybe, you know, let's say five or six years younger than me was like, Oh my God, Secaucus was my favorite high school record, which was the record before this that I'd never heard of, you know, and she didn't even know what the, that they'd put out a new album because they'd been gone for so long. And uh, I got to say, like, that was my my first Ren show. We'll, we'll slide into our, our show that we saw together. Secox has come out in 1996, which I immediately went and found and, and is also just, a, you know, a, not the Meadowlands is, is sort of the, the gold standard for me, but Secox is a fantastic record as well. Yeah, great But, singles. you know, a band that played all of, you know, the, the Meadowlands, which I loved, did, you know, a great... Um, you know, the great songs off Secaucus and some of the earlier stuff that I hadn't heard, but then also did a ripping cover, you know, of 38 Special and uh, Driver 8 by R.E.M. And I was just like, whoa, this is, this is, if I, I think the thing is when, if I have no musical talent, you know, I, I pretended to play bass in a couple of high school bands, um, I've always sort of pined to be, you know, good at music or, or be a rocker myself. But if I could put myself in a band, if I had to say, like, this is what I think I would sound like, I think the Rens are it, right? And that's why it's, I think it means so much to me, this this record and this, this band. They are our avatars. Um, but yeah, I think um, the time, actually, when you're talking about covers to it, I, you know, this is a band that started off um, as a, Jersey Shore cover band. So although one of the first times or one of the times I saw them uh, with you and Trip at Shuba's in Chicago, they did a ripping cover of uh, Your Love by um, The Outfield. And uh, they did it straightforward and we were kind of going, oh, you know, this is usually something that bands we like kind of take liberties with or fuck around with. And, you know, they just, you know, they, when they finished. Well, I think said, we talked to them afterwards and they were yeah. like, yeah, we it played works. that song all the time. We used to be, you know, a cover band. It's a great fucking song. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> After the, since then, I, I was like, yeah, that is a great fucking song. You know, well, I, I kind of like that. I think we can't, uh, you know, not talk about the time. So, so Wyndham and I, for my bachelor party, I was living in Chicago at the time. And, <clears throat> you know, we loved music. And so we invited my, my best friend. Addison, who was living in, living in Houston, and, and Wynn to come. And instead of strip clubs, we went to the Intonation Festival, which was the inaugural... Precursor. Yeah, precursor, precursor to Pitchfork to Fest. Pitchfork Festival. And um, which we spent many, many fine years at. But, you know, the Hold Steady played that year, Les Savi Fav, the Go Team. One, I mean, one of the, you know, greatest Go Team performances with, you know, we'll get into that another time. But um, you also had DJ Booth with, you know, LP and... and uh, it, who's the bass player for the Yola Tango? I'm slipping on his name, you know, spinning records together. Anyways, we'll come back to that. But 
the band that we were most James, excited. James McNew. James McNew. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it was just, it was kind of a, a ram shamble fest that was so accessible. Uh, just f- so much fun. A lot of open band, space. A yeah. lot of open space. Yeah. Not that many people there that year, but the, I, you know, by far the band we were most excited for, I mean, you could have thought like, you know, Led Zeppelin was reuniting or the Smiths or something was the Wrens, And, you know, they were sort of a later in the day, but not a closer by any means. And I think they were as excited as we were to see them. Um, Cause they openly admitted that, you know, holy shit, lot. we have never played in front of this many people. And I can't say that that was a full fest by any means. No, it was about, it was about 10,000 though. Yeah. And in a place that, you know, easily I think holds now about 25. So, um, you know, it had the very state fair kind of feel to it, even though people were really excited and, you know, ginned up about music. Um, it had a bit of a state fair feeling because it wasn't really fully put together. Now it's a, you know, I mean like all festivals, it's, it's a really um, sleek production, and then I say that in a very, uh, you know, positive way. Uh, I think uh, festivals should be sleekly put together, um, and they should, you know, they. Uh, but this was this was definitely. I felt like um, a backyard barbecue a little bit, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I but mean, yeah. Greg Whalen, the uh, the bassist, his brother Kevin is the guitar player. I mean, after the first song, was just so excited to be there. I mean, I think through his bass, you know as high as he could in the air immediately didn't catch it dropped it and broke it for the rest of the set (laughs) (laughs) and then was just sort of playing without a bass they might have fixed it or borrowed somebody's played piano I mean it was just it was a lot of fun is all all I'm kind of getting at but you know I I think that kind of and that's the one thing I mean this is truly a working man's band where they you know these guys I think with the exception of Charles Bissell you know, they have day jobs all week and then they toured on the weekends. And, and so if you ever do get the chance to see the Rens or if you love them as much as we do and, and have seen them, um, you know, it, it's it. a, you know, they obviously enjoy it as much as, as we enjoy seeing them. So, yeah, I um, implore you to see them. And I and they they're the kind of band that would probably thank you for your patronage on the way out. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a great way to end the New Jersey pod in the sense that like, we have a, a kind of a warm feeling towards the Garden State. We both, like I said earlier, had... Not the ex- movie, the state. No, no. The movie, although it had a decent soundtrack, <laughs> was about it. But, um, you know, I think the Wrens are a great encapsulation of our, our feelings. You know, our love for the Wrens is uh, shared with the uh, the greater Garden State, the, all the factories and, and farms and everything in between. All right. Well... Uh, again, thanks for listening and uh, check out the corresponding uh, playlist that we put together on Spotify. I think uh, you'll enjoy. And uh, that said, uh, thanks for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, and we'll catch you next time. That's it for today's episode of the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and drop us a line at brotherpod.com. Thanks very much to Damien Kendall for producing, and from Wyndham, Jeremy, and Christian, see you next time.